Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Pastor Dave had a good time filming that this week. Um, take a couple shots to get that. Some really good camera work to slim us down a little bit. Uh, you know, with these videos that we've got coming out, they're going to help us walk through the book of Judges. That one was good, but I do want to say this. We're, we're not going to show our hand too much, um, but next week, all right, we really up the game, all right? Like next week is taking these videos to a whole nother level, so make sure that you don't miss out on that. Well, in, in typical uh, uh, bow fashion, as we begin a study in the book of Judges, if you could open up to Joshua chapter 23, right? Um, we're gonna read one passage here, and then we're, we're going to jump there. Um, and as you turn to Joshua 23, I, I wanna say something, and, and, and Burger Man, I really appreciate you, you praying this part in there. Um, Typically, there's a tendency with us uh, when we read uh, Scripture, in the Old Testament particularly, okay? The Old Testament is filled with with some really neat stories, stories that oftentimes they take us back to our childhood, right? And we go back to the old school uh, flannel board and and, and sock puppet narratives of of learning these stories. And and if we're not careful, even as adults, what we do is when we read through the Old Testament, we, we, we begin to view them like stories, Okay, and, and there are stories with, with moral and ethical teachings, but, but what I want us to see, and, and this is what we're really going to look at this week, is, is the, the gospel that is told through the Old Testament. It's the same gospel told through the New Testament, and that we see this redemptive uh, spirit and nature of God and what God's doing as he saves the people for himself, and it continues to move forward in the redemptive work that he has uh, that, that, that plays out through, through creation. So as we're reading through Judges, please make sure that, that we, we're reading the stories, we're grasping the stories, but that we're paying attention to the gospel uh, narrative that's there. Also, uh, and you'll see this today, we're not going to be able to hit every word and every verse in Judges as we go through the book, okay? And so we're going to take sections, we're going to take chunks as we go through, which is why it's so important um, for you. If, if you haven't yet, get your Right Now Media account. We would love for you to walk through Judges with us. Uh, there's the study by J.D. Greer that's on there that allows you to, to do just that. So, like, like for example, today we're covering uh, Judges 1-1 through Judges 3-6. Now, we're not reading all that, but, but I want you to take the time to, to go through through and read um, and be on that journey with us and see what God teaches you as, as we go through the book of Judges together, all right? So in Judges, what we're going to find are God's people are in a very important transition in their life. Historically speaking, even, you find Israel has has making it to another transition in their life, in in the kingdom of God, of what God is doing with them. Now, for for Israel, they should be used to transitions, okay? You you can go back and you can look through, right, Exodus, and you can see as as Moses is called their leader, who leads them into the transition out of slavery, leads them into the wilderness, and all the things that that happen and take place there. 
And then Israel hits another very important transition, and it's the transition from, from Moses to, to Joshua. Moses, the, the, the fearless leader who led them greatly to the promised land, but, but wasn't going to lead them into the promised land. And so as Moses died, Joshua becomes the leader, and we see this transition that, that happens and takes place, and that's what the book of, of, of Joshua is about. And, and what you read, if you were to take the time and read through Joshua, you'll find that God fulfills the covenant of bringing the people to the promised land, but it's not empty space. There's people in there. there there's other nations. There's, there's other people who were there. So in Joshua, you see God doing a miraculous work time and time again as this group of Israelites who, who aren't the fierce army that, that others were go to battle and they win. And what you find is what the, the, the theme through, through Joshua that you see is God's faithfulness, right? The, the deck is stacked against them, but God is faithful. And it's the call that, that as we see God be faithful, that God's people are called to be faithful. And I want to read verses uh, in chapter 23, verses 5 through 8. And, and Joshua gives this charge to Israel's leaders. And, and you see uh, this words uh, uh, different places in Joshua. But we want to read this one. Starting in verse 5 of chapter 3. Joshua says, The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from neither to the right hand nor the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. So what we see in Joshua, which will continue on into the very beginning of Judges, is this is what God's going to do. This is what God has, has done. This is what God is doing. And so we respond to that, right? And, and this is why we're, we're gathering for worship today. Right? Like this is the purpose of the gathering of, of believers, that God has graciously uh, done this for us, given us salvation, given us hope, given us life. And so you and I, we don't just look at that and say, well, we really appreciate that and we continue on with our day-to-day -day life, but we respond. And so because God is faithful, right, we respond in, in faith. And so Joshua kind of gives this, this understanding of this is what this looks like to respond this way. He says you got to obey the law, right? Obey God. He, he says you, you've got to make sure that there's not this inter, intermingling or, or mixing of, of people when we go in to, to conquer them, all right? And, and this isn't for, for, for a, a nationalistic purpose, right? This isn't for a racial purpose, right? This is all for a spiritual purpose, right? Because he says, look, if, if we begin to, to mix with these other people who are not part of God's people and they do not know God, we will take on their own gods and we will bow down before and we will serve their gods and we need to keep that separated. But then he also says very specifically, we need to cling to God. And I, and I love that word, cling to God. And, and, and what it's walking through and what Joshua is reminding them is that there's going to become points in times where you look around and things begin to seem hopeless. Or the exact opposite of that. You begin to look around and you begin to think, now oh, we're pretty good. 
right? On either extreme, your tendency will become in your success or in your desperation, oftentimes to let go of God and to not trust him. And, and so Joshua says, no, 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 we got to cling. We got to cling to him. And so the reminder of this great leader as the end of the book of his life is, is recorded, he says, look, obey God, worship him only, and trust him in all circumstances, what faithful life begins to look like. So now we go to another transition, and go ahead and flip over to Judges 1. And this is the transition from Joshua as he passes to another group of leaders that, that God is going to send, that God is going to anoint the judges. And so this is what the book will be about that we saw in that, in that song of, of there's going to be a transition now, and so God is going to appoint judges to lead his people. And what we're going to do today in, in looking at the, the first two and a half chapters of, of Judges is we're going to see some themes that, that the writer's going to put in there that are going to come out week and week again as, as we study all the way through. We're going to see that there are going to be battles with, with sin. We're going to see that there's battles of obedience, that there's battles of faith, but that through it all, right, what we're going to find within God's people, right, in spite of them not being faithful, in spite of them being faithful, God will always continue to be faithful. And so, so a theme of, of God's people that we want to see and, and kind of go ahead and establish is this concept of, of half-hearted faith. That within God's people, there, there's, this, there's this sense of, of half-hearted faith. And here's what I mean. God's people are going to go through a time in Judges where in spite of all that God has done, in spite of the depth of God's faithfulness, in spite of what he has shown them that he is, that they are going to live in a type of faith that says, well, well, what have you done for me lately, right? Like, I know that's what you did. I know that may be what you're doing, but in a very selfish of, of what are you doing for me now? So in, in the book of Judges, when we open up, God's people are in the promised land, and you see through in Joshua victory after victory, you, you see conquering after conquering, but what you also find is that even though they have inherited, even though they are in the promised land, there are still people in the promised land that they need to press out. There's still battles to be fought, there's still wars to be won. And that it is a continuation of what is happening and what is taking place, but that a lot of the same thing of what God has called them to is still there. So let's look at Judges 1, starting in verse 1. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up uh, first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them. So we see this, this, this depth of obedience, of understanding, Lord, we've got to fight the Canaanites. And so if we're going to do that, who are you going to send, right? Who is going to be not, not only our, our, our Moses, who's going to be not only our Joshua, but who do we have now for this? And so it says, the Lord said in verse 2, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me into the territory allotted to me that we may fight against the Canaanites. And likewise, we'll go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. And they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. 
And so we see this is what happens. God says, hey, here's what you need to do. Judah, go. Judah, go and lead the charge. And in verse 2, I love these words. God says, man, I've already given it to you. It's already in your hand. You just have to go. And so they go and they fight. And if you read through, continuing on in, in, in chapter one, you'll see the battles that they face. You'll see that in many of them, they're outnumbered, that there's a different strategy, what's there that should win, but God's people fight. God leads through them and victory is there and God blesses them. But jump down to verse 19. We're gonna see that there begins to be a break in the pattern of what we find beginning there. And it said in verse 19 of chapter one, and the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Starting in verse 19, what we'll begin to see is God's people begin to fail. We begin to see what should be battles that come to victory or battles that come to partial victory. We see battles where they're able to accomplish things, or we see flat out failings. And these aren't failings by God, they're failings by his people. And what we'll find as we read through, because this section kind of gives us a brief overview of what the whole book will be about, we will find it's because of their half-hearted faith, because of their half-hearted obedience, because in them they do not do what God has called them to do. Look down at verse 28. It says, when Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites into forced labor, but did not drive them completely out. Partial obedience to what God has called them to do. Did God say, take them into captivity? Did God say, take them into forced labor? No. God said, drive them out. But the logic of the man began to overrule the wisdom and sovereignty of God in the mind of of the Israelites. And so they say, but, but, but if we're going to be the people that do, do this, this is what we need to do. Well, well, other nations are doing this, so this must be what the plan is for us as well. So God, we know that you told us to go here and to do this, but our strategy, our logic says that I'm going to begin to do things my way. And what we find is that half-hearted faith becomes partial faith, which really just manifests itself into disobedience. That we're given glimpses of, well, these are the things that I do for you that you've called me to do, but in the fulfillment of it all, that we're going to see that they fall far away. Look at Judges 2, starting in verse 1. See the heart of God in this. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bosham, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. God comes to him and says, I get in your strategy. I get in all of the things that you've done, but here's what I need to communicate to you. Because of your disobedience, sin is going to begin to well up and create in your life that it's going to hinder, 
It's going to entrap you, and it is going to kill you because you did not listen to me. I love the words that God, that God uses to describe this in Judges 2. He says, when you allow this sin, when you allow this disobedience to come into your life, there's two things that you're going to have to battle. You're going to have to battle thorns and, and, and snares. You're going to have to battle thorns and, and, and snares. So I want to talk about what a thorn is and what a snare is. And, 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 and tie that into how we can view sin through a thorn and how we can view sin through a snare. So a, a thorn, we all know what a thorn is, right? You see a thorn on a, on a rose or on a vine. And when you look at a thorn, you see the first thing you notice is how small it is, but how sharp it is. And a thorn, you, you know, when you grab it, it, it hurts, right? But sometimes we, we grab and we let go, and so the thorn is no longer there. But God says that these thorns, though, are going to be like a thorn in your side. Not, not a thorn that, that, that pricks the side, but a thorn that's in the side. And so if you really want to talk about thorns in the south, stop thinking about a rose bush and start thinking about sand spurs, Right? We've all been there before when we were little kids and we see our kids now and they got their shoes off and they're running through the field and all of a sudden, oh, you know exactly what happened in that moment. That something so small, but once it gets embedded, it completely immobilizes you. And for sin, there's thorns that we face. They look small, they seem insignificant, but when a thorn gets in you, it makes the strongest of an individual weak. He can't do anything that is affected with that because of what is there until the thorn itself is removed. And so what we're going to see in Israel, what I hope we notice within ourselves as we go through this, is there's so many times we compromise obedience to God, not in the big stuff, but in the thorns. Not in the things that are obvious, but in the thorns that we think, oh, I'm, I'm tough enough for that. I can battle through. But God says the thorns are what's going to hold you back. I'm going to let you go through and, and suffer. But then also there's the snares. There's the snares. I don't know if you've ever used, used a trap or tried to trap anything, but, but here's what a snare is effective when the snare blends into its surrounding right? A snare isn't effective. If I set a snare right up here on the, on the ground right here in front of me and put big flashing lights and, and painted it bright neon green and said to everyone in the room, hey, be careful, there's a snare right here. Well, at that point, if it gets you, man, that's just on you, right? right? But imagine if the snare, we didn't tell you about it. Imagine if the snare was blended into the, to the fabric of the seat, and that that seat looked just like every other seat in the auditorium. And then all of a sudden, it is in your surrounding. You're unaware of it, and it comes up, and it traps you. And in your mind, you never saw it coming. Well, for our snares of sin, they're simply the sins that we've become blind to. That over time, that the, that the thorns of, of sin begin to infiltrate our heart and our lives, that we become numb to them, and the consequences of them, though, become deadly. And these are the things we're going to see with Israel, the thorns and the snares that they battle through. And when we see these in their life, they're going to have to make a decision. 
And it's going to be the decision that you and I make when we see these thorns and these snares as well. I was reading a pastor who was talking about this passage of Scripture specifically. And he said, when it comes to sin, that you and I, we're going to give two reasons. When it comes to battling a sin in our life, we're going to make one of two choices, more than likely, when they begin to creep more and more into our life. It's either the choice of I can't or the choice of I won't. I won't. When sin is, is pointed out to us, when, when disobedience begins to ring true in our life, just like it is for Israel, you and I, we're going to probably say, well, well God, right now, I, I can't. God, right now, this, I know this is here, but, it's, but I, I just can't address it. I can't deal with it. I can't work through this. I've got so many other things that are going on. I've got so much pressure of what's there. It's the culture and it's the positioning of life. God, I can't deal with this right now. When the truth is, it's not that I can't. It's that I won't. I won't deal with it. And, it's, and it is mind-blowing to me when I think about how you and I, how we respond to sin, it's not that I can't pull the sand spur out of my foot so that I can continue to walk. It's that I won't. It's not that I can't avoid the snare that is, that is there. It's that I won't. And we're going to see this within Israel. And here's the culture that it begins to create. Look down at verse 10. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. This verse in Judges 10 is a warning of culture. When we embrace the thorns and the snares, when we say, no, I can't, when we embrace the I want within there, what we find and what we see is that one generation removed, at the most two from the, from the enslavement in Egypt to the crossing of the Red Sea to the fall of Jericho, what we find in here, it says, and another generation after them who did not know the Lord. They didn't know him. Just imagine the the water piled up into walls and the ground became dry and they walked across with their wagons included. And when the Egyptians came after them, it enclosed on them. But they didn't know the Lord. That they marched around a city and as they began to declare what God called them to, the walls came down, but, but they didn't know. So did they forget? No, they didn't forget. They didn't forget the Red Sea. They didn't forget Jericho. They didn't forget all of the, the faithfulness of God. It says that they didn't know God. When, when you look at this word know and understand what it means, it means to know at a depth that you're moved by something. To know something so intimately that you're moved by it. When I was... Um, much, much younger, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but the movie Saving Private Ryan came out. I've shared this story before, so forgive me if you've heard it multiple times, but it's the closest thing I can get to understanding this in my own mind of what it means to know something. My grandfather, who, who passed away several years later, was one of my best friends and one of the most godly influences in my life, had served in, in, during World War II 
was a part of the D-Day invasion. He was part of the bridge at Remagen in the Battle of the Bulge. I got to write my senior paper at USC Aiken about his journey that he took. And my, my, my grandfather, we liked to, we liked to talk. We, here, we did two things together, right? We watched NASCAR together, and, and we, we, we talked uh, uh, war together, right? That's what we did. And he would tell me about all of his experiences. He would tell me about the different things that he had gone through and the battles that he would face. And I would sit there uh, as a kid and just, just take in the stories that he would tell me. And I'd hear the passion within his voice. And so he called me one day and he said, hey, can you and I go see a movie together? Now, my mind was blown because I'd never known my grandfather to ever see a movie in his entire life, right? Like literally, he watched C-SPAN and, and NASCAR. That was it, right? Uh, yeah, you want to go see a movie? Absolutely. What movie do you want to go see? And he said, I heard there's a movie about World War II called Saving Private Ryan. Could you go watch it with me? I said, absolutely. I'd heard about it. I'd heard how realistic it was. I'd heard about how powerful the story was, and it was a movie that I look forward to seeing regardless, but now my granddad wants to go do that with me, so that means I get into the movie free, right? Absolutely. And so we went over to Evans, Georgia, to the, the big movie theater that was there. We got in our seats, and we had our popcorn, and we began to watch the movie. And you know how the movie opens? It opens on that D-Day invasion. And Ron Howard and what they were able to do with that movie, with, with, with the bullets that were coming through, right? I remember, I remember being in the movie theater and hearing the pew, pew, pew speakers around me. I remember seeing and hearing the sounds of the waves crashing against the, the shore and the tides pushing on the boats. I remember hearing the desperation of the soldiers as they made their way, right? You know the story, the water's too deep, but they're making their way onto the beach, most of whom didn't make it. I remember what the water looked like. It was stained red because of the soldiers who had fallen and who had passed. And I'm sitting there, and I'm watching a story unfold. And I look over beside me, and there's my grandfather, and his face is covered with tears, because when he heard the bullets in the movie, he went back to when he had heard them in real life. When he saw the, the salt water hit the soldiers and burn their eyes and, and fill their mouths, he could feel the burning in his eyes, and he could taste the salt of the water then. When he saw soldiers dragging other soldiers, he, he knew of that, that weight that was there, and he began to know what that felt like. That he began through in his journey, as he watched that movie, there was a depth of intimacy of what had happened and what had taken place, that years upon years later, as he was then an old man, but he knew what had happened there. You see, in God's people's faithfulness to him, they had missed the depth of the intimacy of what's there. It had become stories instead of the power-changing work of God in his faithfulness. It's in verse 11, as they had forgotten, it says, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. 
And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Astroths. And so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. And what we see here is the warning from the command of what Joshua had told him in Joshua 23, is that this is where we find God's people when they began to walk in half-hearted faith, when they begin to walk in partial obedience that becomes downright disobedience to him. And what happens? They move from being the conquerors, and now they are the conquered. Now they're no longer the one in the victory. And whose fault is it? It's theirs. They abandoned the Lord, but God, but God had never broken his covenant. And this is what we're going to see, and this is the hope that we have, that you and I have so often not conquered what was there but settled, that you and I find ourselves in these same patterns in disobedience. And if we aren't careful, we look at the end of verse 14 and we walk away and say, this is what Judges is going to be about, the failings of God's people. But then we miss it. Let's look down at verse 16. It says, then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of their Lord. They did not do as their fathers. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed and who afflicted them. You see, the heart, the reason why we can't just lock in on the story is because we miss the work of what God is doing. And what we see is this, that you and I, we're a lot like Israel. You and I live in a world that is a lot like in the world of the promised land, where we compromise we give in to the thorns, we're, we're caught by the snares, that there's the battles that's still there and that begin to rage. And you and I, in our half-hearted obedience, we take on the wandering heart. But what we find in that is where we see the God who saves. We see the God who saves time and time again. We see the God who says, I'm going to send, and I'm going to send, and I'm going to send, and in sending, I'm going to redeem people. And when you continue on and you read through the Old Testament, you see the story of God who says, who goes, no, 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 you're enslaved and I'm going to send Moses. And then you, you get to the promised land, but you can't get there, so I'm going to send Joshua. And then Joshua's going to die, so what you're going to need is you're going to need judges. And then, jo then God's going to send the kings, and then God's going to send the prophets. And then all the way into the New Testament where, where God sends John the Baptist proclaim something very important a peace that God's people have been waiting for. 
in the peace that we cling to today. God says, no, I'm going to send one more. One more. And this is it. Because he is going to fully deliver his people. And so he sends Jesus. The story of the hope of the gospel. You see, God's people and judges deserved to be where they were. And so we sent him a judge and another judge and another judge to deliver them and to point them to the perfect judge, the Messiah, who would come to save all of creation. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this book. Lord, I thank you that in Israel, what we find is the heart that wants to wander, the heart that wants to rebel, the, the heart that wants to pretty up some things but continue to give in to the thorns and snares that are there. Lord, I thank you that in that, Lord, your word is very clear. Lord, they went through difficulties. They faced punishments. They had all of these things that happened to them. But Lord, what you did in your kindness and in your compassion is you delivered them. Lord, as we're gathered in here in this place this morning or we're sitting at our homes watching online, Lord, we're either hearts that are enslaved and need to be set free or for so many of us, right now, we're just in a heart that has wandered. Lord, and I pray that as we go through this, that Lord, right now, that you remind us that you are a God. You are the God who saves. And it is found in you and in you alone. And that our salvation, that our redemption doesn't just come from our earthly circumstances but it comes for our eternity. Lord, Israel deserved to face the wrath that Sodom faced. They deserved the discipline that Gomorrah faced. Lord, and so